Welcome to MedHeads, the weekly show that brings a biopsychosocial focus to issues of the day, along with special guests who will showcase their expertise and enthusiasm about their field of practice. Your host, Dr. Fergal Armstrong. Hello everyone, my name is Dr. Fergal Armstrong and welcome to this episode of MedHeads. And today I have the honour of introducing to you Dr. Sam Menger. Hello Sam, how are you? Hello, Fergal. I'm, I'm well, thank you. Thank you for inviting me on. No, it's, it's great to have you on. So for the benefit of the viewers, um, I think it's important at the outset that we identify exactly who you are. So you are a qualified GP, so you're FRAC GP, Fellow of the Royal Australian College of GPs, and you are also a Fellow and the President of the Australasian Society of Lifestyle Medicine. So that's a very interesting combination of, of, of attributes. So can you explain how, you know, a little bit about the history of your career and how you got to this point? Yeah, sure. Well, yeah, like I said, thanks for having me on. So I'm, I'm also uh, a senior lecturer with James Cook University School of Medicine and GP training and um, setting up a master's in lifestyle and social medicine there and then also have my own podcast, The GP Show. So mm. I sort of uh, have my fingers in multiple pies, as it were, healthy pies, pea pies maybe. Um, but <laughs> the, how did I get here? Well, uh, so I graduated 10 years ago, uh, and I went, I was always keen on doing rural general practice. So I went and did four years in South Australia. I did some anesthetics mm. training. So in rural medicine, uh, in sort of Mount Gambia and around the place in South Australia, and then I moved back to Queensland. Um, but that whole time I was always interested in, non-pharmacological interventions to to treat disease. Now, I'd had that experience in my own health, um, so I had that basis for it, but I was just seeing too many people um, for the right reasons get better um, not using medications. Mm. Obviously, medications are life-saving and life-improving, but I just saw so many people getting better using diet or exercise or sleep interventions. And then I started doing a sort of more deep dive into the literature and see that there's actually a reasonably strong body of evidence, though, to be fair, I still think it's in its infancy and there's a long way to go, which is why I campaign and advocate to this big growing area, because I think it deserves a lot more attention than it gets. Um, mm. So, yeah, and then that that's in a, in a short how I got here. I mean, I've always been interested outside of medicine in the sense of the main thing that got me through my intern and residency years, the stress of those years, those, those sort of 90-hour weeks and sleeping on the floor kind of thing, um, was yeah. my vegetable patch. You know, I went, gar- I, I gardened almost every day and it was, a, you know, the, the sun, the exercise, the connection with nature, um, the eating, the fresh produce. This is all lifestyle medicine in a nutshell. And mm. um, it just absolutely rescued me um, outside my wife, yeah. of course. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I, I can share with, with you uh, the, the, the awful nightmare that is being a junior doctor and, and, I, and I, I look I'm 47 years old and I didn't want to say that on camera but yeah I'm 47 years old and back in my day it was truly horrendous and, and, and you know a lot of my colleagues they they all not all of them but a lot of them resorted to really unhealthy lifestyle practices and also some of them unfortunately stimulant medication just to get through, you know, the, the, the weekend shift on call. So, I mean, for instance, I can remember when I was doing ENT uh, rotations as a junior doctor, 
I would start on call on a Friday morning and finish on Monday afternoon. And you were expected mm. to deal with everything. Now, you did get some sleep during that period, but you were expected to be in the hospital, available for duty, of whatever job had to be done. I mean, that's utterly horrendous. And, you know, I mean, I didn't really want to digress too much into, into the value of sleep today, but, you know, we all know, uh, you more than most, just how detrimental a lack of sleep is to practically every physiological function in the body. So, you know, it, it, it's, I, I can actually, I totally empathize with your, your, your illusion of, or your, you're talking about the awfulness of uh, being a junior doctor. It's truly horrendous. It's a rite of passage that I think people regard as a badge of honor. Erroneously so now, I think it should be much, much, the, the, it should be made much more easily. And another thing to, to think about is patients don't realize just how underslept their doctors are. I mean, that, that in and mm. of itself is quite frightening, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, there's some interesting stats out there, which I'm sure you're aware of. But um, so, you know, there's the there's the there's the very common and uh, obvious stat, which is sleep deprivation of only I think it's something like six hours beyond where you should be, so to speak. So you've been up for, let's yeah. say, um, you know, 18 to 20 hours um, yeah. significantly starts to impact your cognitive abilities and your fine motor skills. And then, you know, that obviously gets worse as you progress. But yeah. the um, also um that there's as you say there's so many mechanisms through which sleep is uh, sleep heals us and there's just nothing else that does that <laughs> so there's, there's no there's no way you can get that. around yeah. it um yeah. and yes it's it's quite phenomenal yeah so i mean we i can now understand why you became interested in lifestyle medicine because it was a personal thing for you and this interest that you have in non-pharmacological management of disease I, my interest in lifestyle medicine came about when I realized the statistical analyses of, of efficacy for all medications were, were uh, numbers needed to treat. And so something that, I mean, an example of that might be, oh, we, we take, we're going to take codeine, for instance, to treat a headache. Or we're going to take codeine to treat, uh, I don't know, a sore toe. So the numbers needed to treat for codeine efficacy is eight. That means that eight people have to take codeine to treat a sore toe for only one person to get benefit. And I realized, well, actually, all of these medications that I rely on to, to make my patients better, they're not that good. You know, you want to have numbers needed to treat of one, you know, and then I, well, you know, so this, it's just not that impressive. And even statins, the numbers needed to treat for statins varies, but I, I can remember, like, it's, in some situations, it's 15, you know, which is mm. not that good. So... Um, <clears throat> That's the reason why I started getting into lifestyle medicine to start to try and explore healthier ways to actually achieve therapeutic benefit for my patients. And then I realized that, um, especially in dementia, uh, there are so many potential problems in, in chronic disease. It's like having a leaky roof with, with maybe six to eight leaks in the roof. And unless you plug all of those leaks, you're still going to be cold, wet, and miserable at the end of the day. And therefore, one tablet that, pl that plugs one, root, one, uh, one leak is just not going to cut the mustard. So you have to achieve a change in lifestyle to actually achieve uh, you know, the fixing of the repair of the entire roof. So, yes. So, what do you, how would you define then what we've talked about lifestyle medicine? How would you then define it? What, what, what is it? And what, what kind of well, purview does it have? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, plugging leaky holes is is a good analogy that I know um, 
some in this area do use like uh, Dr. Armand, but um, who works a lot on sort of healthy brain and brain aging and that sort of stuff. But um, so lifestyle medicine is the use of food, movement, uh, sleep, uh, sleep, stress management, tobacco and uh, substance cessation, connection with each other, which is social mm. connection is huge and connection with the natural world combined with health coaching, uh, new models of care, whether that be face-to-face, -face, group therapy or digital, um, yeah. behavioral change insights um, to improve uh, chronic disease burden largely that is preventable or manageable with lifestyle-related um, interventions. So it's it's a fairly broad church, but the, the <clears throat> within that there are obviously many different subsets. So obviously within diet, there's many different types of diet. And within diet, there's also fasting. And fasting is a fascinating area and an area I can, yeah. I can talk about if you'd like. Um, oh, and then yes, within please. movement, obviously, there's a, yeah. <laughs> in, within movement, there's aerobic and anaerobic and sleep, you know, there's, there's stuff. And so stress management, there's mindfulness and there's yoga and there's walking and there's all these other things. So, so it's actually there's a lot within those domains. And then you talk about the health behavior change or health coaching. And that is a, a hugely important area because you can you can advise people all you want all day long. Um, yeah. And yes, brief interventions have some evidence and are important and do work. But really understanding health coaching and how to help guide people. And I'm still just a, a really, I'm just a baby at this, um, to be honest. Uh, I've still got a long way to go at my skill set um, when it comes to health coaching. But uh, there, there's, it's crucial to be able to support people and empower people and make them feel confident and motivated in the change because in the end, the whole, you know, what they call th one of the theories of change is you go from external sources of motivation to internal sources of motivation meaning you drive mm. yourself and then eventually it becomes automatic so you formed a new yeah. habit and so yeah. you know you need to help guide people through that to make sustainable lifestyle change and then on top of that it's really important to mention um that this is not just about the individuals so when you're talking about lifestyle and you talk about okay diet and that sort of stuff you've got to go okay well why are they eating poorly and it's it's almost always because our society is saturated in terrible foods every you know, every place you go to fill gas or fuel, every supermarket you go to, there's junk at the checkouts. It's, you are literally surrounded by it. And we are humans evolved in a low calorie environment, harsh environment, yeah. to eat yeah. any high calorie thing we can, like fat and sugar, to survive. Now we are saturated in those calories and we're not evolved, you know, from largely to control our sort of urges. <laughs> and so we get the problem we get, which is 65% of people are overweight. And if, you know, if 65% of us, uh, a class in school failed the exam, you wouldn't be blaming the students. You'd be thinking, well, the teacher's crap or the school's crap. And so here you have a situation where we're blaming the individual for something that is largely a social cultural disease, obesity, for example. And so um, there we, there's a very strong um, awareness and advocacy and lobbying towards changing those social determinants um of health that, that also yeah. fall into environmental and political spheres so yeah it's a pretty yeah. big uh, it's a pretty broad church but yeah it's a huge broad church and it's very encompassing that's one of the things that i find very attractive to it it it, it encompasses multiple types of professionals multiple skill sets and it brings them into one purpose which is ultimately optimizing everybody's health and i i haven't seen that in any other endeavor of medicine now you've said a you've said a couple of things that really uh, um, 
resonate with me in my capacity as an addiction medicine specialist. So, I mean, you're talking about health coaching. I know, I, you know, I hear drug and alcohol coaching. You're talking about lifestyle. I hear resilience. So these are all, this is an example of how lifestyle medicine permeates and percolates through the practice of so many other fields of medicine. So, I mean, if we're talking about health coaching, as you say, Tony Robbins doesn't have the answer to it. There are multiple theories on how to do it. And again, as you say, the, getting that motivation from an external locus of control, the external drive into the internal locus of control, to then, for patients to then internalize their own motivation to actually make change. And in my background, that would be the cessation of, um, the cessation of illicit drugs and the, uh, the, the beginnings of healthy behaviors. That's absolutely crucial. And one of the one of my one of my epiphanies was the realization that actually, certainly in um, in um, methamphetamine use disorder or in uh, alcohol use disorder, my medication didn't really work quite so. I mean, sometimes not at all, but certainly, it's only a small part of providing a patient with a holistic therapy that includes health behavior counseling, health behavior change management psychological therapies and AOD counseling for them to actually achieve abstinence and further to that health. The tablets that I prescribe don't really work. And to, you know, as a, as a doctor who's invested in pharmacology, that's just, that, that, that's, that's very challenging to come to terms with. But you, you, you took that leap naturally. I, I, I find difficulty with that, but you, from what I'm hearing, from what you're saying, it was easy for you to realize that. Uh, easy. Yeah, I think it probably was. I mean, it just makes yeah. sense, doesn't it? Like, uh, yeah. if, if you've got the stats are that about 80% of chronic disease is preventable with lifestyle interventions, and they're four simple lifestyle interventions, not smoking, BMI less than 30, so not even normal, uh, a reasonably healthy sort of Mediterranean style diet, and a bit of activity 30 minutes a day, 80%. So that's 93% of heart disease on or diabetes, sorry, 81% of heart disease. 35% of cancers, 30 to 50% of dementia. I mean, um, so it's like, okay, well, that's that's those four really basic things which most people don't do. I mean, about, I think from memory, about 3 to 5% of people meet the uh, recommended intake of vegetables a day. So, see, we've got a long way to go. And, um, yeah. and again, there's many social determinants in there. Um, but yeah. it's... So, so you've got to end up being a reasonably good communicator, educator, and coach to to do that and it's not like you have to be but i think it certainly helps and if you treat it like any form of your cpd or your continuing professional development where you just go okay here's an area that's crucially important dare i say more more important than what is what most doctors do which is like skin cancer management or something like that which is still important but um it this is actually everyone because it's not just about lifestyle it's, it's about um, medication adherence it's about um whether people feel confident in the actual path that you've laid out for them. And in de dare I say, learning from the patient, because we, we, we still have, I think, and we're coming out of it, we're growing out of it, but a sort of paternalistic model of medicine where do what doctor says should go. And I think those days are over because not just with the advent of the internet, but people are um, more taking more ownership of their health, rightly or wrongly, like incorrectly or correctly these days than ever before. And we have to hear their experience. That's one, because otherwise, why would they respect our opinion if we don't respect theirs? 
And yeah. two, um, they actually know a lot these days. And uh, like, I, I was just thinking about a, um, a condition last night, which I can't remember off the top of my head, but I was thinking, well, there's no way like that person ends up becoming the expert in their addiction or their diabetes or their depression. And um, so they're going to go off now and do re you know research on the internet. And I think to not be good at lifestyle medicine or lifestyle interventions um, means that you're going, people are going to not get that from you. Right. So then they're going to go seeking it somewhere else mm -hmm. and they're going to find possibly some truth. Uh, and they're also going to find a lot of um, questionable stuff, non-truth on the internet. And then they're lost and then they're confused and uh, they're stressed and you've not really done them a service. You've done them a disservice by not providing that. So, and you need to be open to hearing what they've come across and you need to be open to learning yourself, um, which I think is part of the coaching process in, in my opinion. So we've heard from you what lifestyle medicine is. And I, I agree with you that part of the role of physicians is actually to, to guide people through the, the forest of information that is out there regarding any particular disease. Because as you say, there's an awful lot of dross out there and, and being able to tease out what's good quality evidence, good quality medical knowledge versus low quality is, is vital. Which then, you know, I was listening to you and I was thinking, well, we know what lifestyle medicine is. We know that you have to actually be a, a guide for information. What is lifestyle medicine not? What is it not, in your opinion? Uh, well, obviously, it's, um, yeah, there's a, there's a few things to say there. So first of all, obviously, it's not pharmacological medicine um, and it's not supplement-based medicine. So exactly. any herbs. Yes, vitamins. Yeah, any, any, <laughs> yeah vitamins, minerals, herbs. Yes. Um, uh, natural therapies, inverted commas, that aren't lifestyle-based. So that's just not what it is. I mean, what I defined it to be earlier is exactly what it is. Um, so, yeah. yeah, so it's not alternative or complementary. It, it's absolutely, like, foundational. Like, it's if you look at any guideline, pretty much, um, yeah. you look at high hypertension guidelines, cholesterol guidelines, uh, depression guidelines, it, they'll all yeah. say lifestyle interventions for three months, six weeks, whatever, first. Yeah or yeah. combined with medication. So that's what lifestyle yeah. medicine is. It's like, it's it's stock standard common sense medicine, but it's common sense medicine not practiced commonly. I mean, the yes. the stats on this are a little bit um, embarrassing to our profession, if I was gonna be honest, about how often these things are actually uh, assessed. It's it, about 20% of GP appointments, lifestyle interventions like diet and smoking are assessed. Um, mm -hmm. there are some studies indicating that people wait on average six years to discuss their weight in detail. Um, and about 4% of, of consults end with an actual lifestyle prescription of any substance. Um, mm -hmm. so that's to me a little damning because if you flip it, if you take insomnia, for example, um, about 95% of insomnia consults end with a script. So here yeah. we've got a model, which is topsy turvy to me. And again, it's not a condemnation because I think we just sort of fell into this because any say medication like antibiotics are exceedingly um, impressively effective. So of course we've yeah. kind of gone through the last hundred years feeling that that's the way to go. But now I think the next twenty years, I hope it happens quickly, will be a bit of a change where we go. Actually, a lot of these meds are adjunct and important, um, but we need to get this base stuff working first, or at yeah. least at the same time as like meds and say this will be a bridge until we really get on top of your lifestyle and 
if that happens and sometimes it doesn't of course mm-hmm. um so yeah it, it's it's it, it's working with the current model and in the current model but taking it i think to the next level so, yeah so it's really important for people to understand uh, and also doctors to understand that lifestyle medicine is not mumbo jumbo is not alternative medicine it is evidence-based mainstream advice and recommendations that are already part of the vast majority of chronic disease guidelines and as you say you know you know lifestyle interventions first for three to six months that that phrase exists in the vast majority of guidelines for like heart disease and diabetes and hypertension etc etc that we, we we all as as trainees we all as students gloss over and we kind of pay lip service to it i remember writing you know my algorithm for the management of diabetes number one lifestyle number two blah 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 and the rest of the essay would all be about the pharmacology of all the oral hypoglycemics and you know you you would pay lip service by writing one line lifestyle medicine so what does that mean and i'm you're absolutely right when you say topsy-turvy the way that we practice medicine is actually an inverted pyramid you know the least important stuff we do first, which is here's your medication. You know, we don't get the foundations right. We don't get the foundations right in pain management. We don't get the foundations right in um, in the vast majority of addiction serve in uh, addiction management, and certainly in, in primary care. And th- those are the two areas that I can speak to. But you know, as you have also said, you know, for the vast majority of chronic diseases, it's topsy turvy. We need to be starting off with giving our patients good lifestyle medicine. So. Can you give us an example of how you've incorporated lifestyle medical practices in your daily job? Because it, you know, it doesn't have to be earth shattering. It's important, but it's not earth shattering. What do you do? Mm. Yeah, thanks. Um, so I suppose there's just two things <laughs> I want to mention there. One is the, you know, you mentioned about just the effectiveness of these interventions. Because I think it's important just to mention that briefly. So, Sure. Um, and I'll just throw a few little studies out there. So, you know, there's been repeated trials now showing that um, up to 80% of diabetes is able to be put into remission, type 2 diabetes in remission, mm. um, if they've had it for less than six years with diet alone. So that's diet alone. So that's not including exercise and those other things, which we know can improve insulin sensitivity and those sorts of stuff. You mentioned chronic pain before. Um, yeah. I mean, there's not a huge amount of evidence for diet and chronic pain, but certainly I think movement therapies are like the number one yeah. foundation to, Absolutely. to chronic Absolutely. pain. Absolutely. Um, and actually, and sleep sorry, as well. can I just stop you there? To me, it's a circle. Chronic pain is not nociception, so there's no tissue damage, right? But chronic pain causes depression, causes chronic pain. And the only way to break that is to break that vicious circle. Diet plays a role in that. Sorry, I just wanted to make that point. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So diet, certainly with depression, anxiety, there's been some good studies now. There's been um, about, I think um, it's from memory 12 or maybe 19, I can't remember which number it was, sort of randomized control style trials and people with sort of clinical uh, symptoms of depression. And there was a meta-analysis in 2019 of 45,000 people of, of, um, of actual intervention trials. So not, I'm not talking observational meta-analysis, yeah. interventional controlled trial meta-analysis of 45,000 people and showing that um, diet was effective in depression, anxiety, in particular in women. Um, And and that's for up to about 30% of people respond with moderate to severe depression. So that's uh, a pretty impressive intervention. Obviously, it's not a panacea, but if you also take exercise, which has been repeatedly shown to be as effective as psychotherapy and pharmacotherapy, 
and you take sleep, if you combine all those things, yeah. no one's done this. So I have no idea what the outcome would be. But you're, you, you, you have a significant percentage of the population who don't need pharmacotherapy. And if you look at antidepressant prescribing, it's doubled in the last 10 years. That was before COVID. It's gone up another 20, 30% yeah. since COVID. So, you know, we're on a trajectory here where we're just becoming more deeply reliant on medications, which is the wrong direction to go. And we can talk about pharmaceutical yeah. industry influence and all that sort of stuff too. Yeah. Um, but again, like I said, despite all of that, lifestyle medicine and science is still relatively in its infancy because there's a lot of things we don't know. So if we take autoimmune conditions, for example, which is again growing in, in prevalence um, mm. and affecting people very young, uh, there's not a lot of evidence for lifestyle interventions in these. Those trials just haven't really been done. But if you take my, when you consider one thing, which is there are no risks really to lifestyle medicine. Like the main risk is that people become so anxious about what they eat, they then get, you know, that goes down another rabbit hole. But otherwise, yeah. it's pretty much risk free. So therefore, yeah. the bar of evidence that you require should be much less. I mean, people may disagree with that. But to me, it's like if there's no risks and it's only going to help some facet of their, their whole of person, it may not yeah. fix their autoimmune condition, but it'll help their mood, it'll help their sleep, everything then it's worth a try. And I've done this in numerous patients um, with autoimmune conditions. I had one kid the other day, 19 year old, with an ankylosing spondylitis, on biologicals, you know, badly affected by their disease. Right, right. Went on a lifestyle medicine program, now on no medication, symptom free and happy. So like, and that's anecdote, and I appreciate that's anecdote, but when you start seeing anecdote after anecdote after anecdote, mm. um, and you're just like, well, okay, actually, this is clearly playing a major role in their well-being. Mm. And I'm not saying everyone gets an outcome like that. I don't want to pretend they do, because obviously some people try this and they don't get better and they need medication, and that's absolutely fine and, and, and accepted and good. Um, but I'm just saying that it's, it's, a, it's not good to not do it. And so in regards to your question about how do I do it, um, look, it, I actually just practice um, pretty standard general practice and there's, but what I just make sure is that um, you can do it either ways. You can have an autofill thing so it reminds you because that's often the problem in general practice is time. Um, but I just make sure I assess lifestyle and I prescribe lifestyle to the vast majority of my patients. And um, then I will have things like behavioral cues in my room. So maybe that's mm. a pair of soccer shoes on the ground or a, like a poster on the wall saying, if you want to discuss your lifestyle, please book a longer appointment. Just little cues like that that will encourage people mm. to then start talking about lifestyle. Um, and that, that's sort of what we call nudging, which is a sort of behavioral science technique. Um, and then I use coaching services. So you, will, you have them in Victoria um, and we have them in Queensland. They're a free state um, health coaching services, which is a good place to start where they give you six free health coaching sessions over the phone, like as in the patient who signs up. So I would use that and then I would see the patient every month generally um, and then probably sometimes more intensively weekly for maybe a couple of weeks just to really educate them deeply and get the motivation going, ensure there's support um, and work in a usually a, a bit more of a comprehensive multi-D component. So write more detailed letters to my colleagues, the dietitians and the physios and expect more detailed correspondence in return. Um, mm. And so that's the basics. And it's, it's like, it's really simple. But first, you've got to know, you've got to have some knowledge of lifestyle medicine. It's the good old Miller's pyramid, you know, with medical education, you've got to know, 
and then you've mm -hmm. got to be able to know how um, and then you've got to be able to show that um, and yeah. practice it and when you practice it um, what would have taken me 20 30 minutes 10 you know eight years ago or something takes me literally about a minute now to do a, a, a thorough enough assessment for me to make a diagnosis and the assessment's key and i'll say one last thing and then i'll shut up <laughs> the um, the assessment is key because we treat lifestyle like you say we we pay it lip service and so we go how's your diet oh most patients say yeah no it's pretty good i eat pretty well that's what 90 percent of patients say and you're like oh okay and that's as far as it goes for a lot of doctors they say okay well it can't be that then it's like no 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 if someone came in with a knee pain or a headache and and you said oh how's your pain they went yeah it's pretty bad you went okay diagnosed got the diagnosis pretty bad knee pain like you would be negligent right it would be malpractice no. to do that you you then say well where's the pain where does it refer how bad is it what makes it better what makes it worse is it red is it swollen do you have a fever etc we go through an assessment which is what we've been taught to do and use our clinical reasoning we don't do that with lifestyle like where did that go so it's like okay what do you eat what's breakfast What's lunch? What's snacks? What's drinks? What's alcohol? When do you eat overnight, which is very common, binge, like igniting disorders and binge eating disorders? Um, where are your cravings? What do you really want? Where do you struggle, et cetera, et cetera. So um, the same with movement, same with sleep, et cetera, et cetera. Like you have to do an assessment if you're going to make the right diagnosis. Um, and we just don't seem to realize that but I, some do and i shouldn't be critical in the sense that there's actually quite a lot of gps who really do care about this and like you said it's a multidisciplinary field specialist allied health and obviously allied health do but um yeah there's still there's still a way to go there's still a way to go on that sweet note sam we've, we've run out of time but i would really look forward to the opportunity of talking with you in greater detail on each of the multi-facets that does constitute lifestyle medicine, even though we are in its, in its infancy. And as you say, there's still a way to go. But Dr. Sam Manger, thanks very much for your time today. Thank you. Thank you so much, Fergal. That's it for today's MedHeads. My name's Dr. Fergal Armstrong. We'll see you next time.